empower your church to spread the light. We're going to be talking about that this morning as we approach our last sermon from the book of Colossians. It's been, for me, uh, uh, I've enjoyed the journey. I've had to study Colossians uh, that I haven't studied like it for quite a long time. And we're going to be reviewing some of those themes in the prayer following the message this morning. Uh, I think the thing I really liked most about Colossians was the constant reminder of the supremacy of Jesus Christ in my life, in the life of his church, in the life of the world. For those of you who don't know much about Jesus, uh, that's really what Jesus is all about, and earning the right to be the supreme leader of the world through his death and resurrection. And to find that even through that, he, even though he was the supreme giver of life and the supremacy that, that he brings, he also hum humbled himself in such a way uh, that he's all we need. Our salvation, uh, our life, our breath, everything that we have comes from him. Supremacy of Christ, Jesus is all we need. And we conclude this series this morning as we turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Are we going to have any picks this morning, or where are we at? Oh, okay, I'll preach like this this morning. <laughs> we'll see what works out. Thank you so much. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Last week we talked about, there's two instructions Paul, Paul gives right at the end of this letter. Uh, that first instruction was to devote yourself to prayer. And reminded us of the importance of being a praying church, a, a praying Christian. And then he comes with this second instruction given to them as well. Uh, and this would be the Pauline mind, because Paul was always, always concerned to, to, to proclaim Christ. Yeah, that's what he lived for, that in fact is what he died for proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And these were his words that he writes to these Christians in, in Colossae and to us this morning. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Probably when we talk about great evangelists, I would think in, in today's day and age, who's the first person probably that would come to mind outside of Jesus Christ? Billy Graham, right? The Billy Graham School of Evangelism. And he's done so much, so much in, in, in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Outside of Jesus Christ, and then kind of Billy Graham is right up there, we have this person called St. Paul. Uh, one time an outsider, as we're going to talk about in a few moments, but now an insider. And he was called specifically to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that weren't his own kind of patronage, right? Uh, not Jews, but to the Gentiles, proclaiming the gospel. I want to share with you what I find in these few verses. Just some tips that, that Paul gives us. He says, if, if you want to take your job description seriously as a church here at Community or as an individual, listen to these tips that Paul gives us about what it really takes to be a good evangelist, what it takes to be a witness of Jesus Christ, because all of these things we have in us 
And sometimes we, we kind of forget, uh, outside of being created to worship God, this comes right next door to tell people about Jesus. And, and Paul gives us these, these three evangelism tips that, that we want to keep in mind as we seek to be witnesses. The first one he says in verse 5 is, is to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Now, who's an outsider? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Now, that's a, a term that he used to describe anyone who is outside of Christ. If you don't belong to Jesus, if Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, um, you're not a Christian, and anyone who is not a Christian is an outsider. Just let that sink in for a moment. And many of us, of course, uh, have, have met outsiders. And these are people without Christ. They might think they have hope, but they're without hope and they're, they're without salvation. These are people who, not, who are not on their way to an eternal life. They're outsiders, not recipients of the gospel. Now, we all know someone like that. It, it might be someone in your family. It might be your spouse, a child, a grandchild. It might be a neighbor. It might be someone that you live next to in the neighborhood. It, it might be someone that you work with. And they know that you're a Christian, and they also know that they are not. Paul says these people are outsiders. And when you have an outsider in your life, which all of us do, there's something you need to keep in mind. Your biggest responsibility is not just to receive them and to love them, but they were put into your life as well to be a witness, to proclaim, as Colossians has taught us, to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And, and Paul begins by saying, listen, be wise in the way you know it. He said, act toward outsiders. You think you would begin with saying, as I've heard in many evangelism training kind of things, be wise in the way you speak to outsiders. That's going to come in a few moments. But he begins with, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. You've heard surely of the maxim, action speaks louder than words, right? Think about it for a moment. Actions speak louder than words. Take it in a marital relationship, maybe just for an example. When you tell your spouse, I love you. I love you. That's kind of nice to hear. We're reminded we should say that more often to each other. I love you. Wonderful words, aren't they? Words that can be well-spoken. But can you imagine have somebody telling their spouse, I love you, but they treat you like dirt. And you may recognize people who they know you're a Christian. And you might say to your spouse, I love you, but when you're in the marketplace or here or there or how you treat them might be completely different. Actions speak louder than words. What you do has more value, listen, than what you say. Your actions are that important. And so it is with witnessing. What we hear about these things that, that say, uh, you know, talk to talk. And that there are many of us who talk to talk. That's simply meaning when, when I speak with people and then we begin to have a relationship, uh, they will know that I'm a Christian and we'll talk the talk. We'll, we'll talk of the religious language and the religious jargon. But what Paul is concerned about here is not just talking the talk, but walking the talk or walking the walk. 
I like the way how John Maxwell says this. It's kind of a tongue twister. Hopefully I can get it out. Your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Memorize that and try to say that quickly. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. He's simply telling us very clearly, your actions are far more important initially to start than your words. Because you can say everything you want to people, but if it doesn't show in your lives... Those words mean nothing. How you act when you're in the presence of an outsider, of a non-Christian, makes all the difference in the world. You better believe they're watching you. Once you identify yourself as a Christian, they are watching you. How is this person different from me? How is this person different from people that I work with or people in my neighborhood? or people that I don't like very much. How is this person different when it comes to how they treat people? How is this person different than where they always are just talking about themselves and they're always looking out for number one and they're more selfish than selfless? How is this person different? How does this person handle his or her alcohol? Are they behaving? In public, are they, as we learned in a week or two ago about, are, are, am I wearing the clothes that Christ has given me to wear in public? The compassion, the humility, the patience, the love, the forgiveness, bearing with each other. Are these things evident in my life? And is it noticeable? Actions speak louder than words. Paul says, be wise. Okay, first First bit of instruction this morning, the first tip is simply to be wise when you're with non-Christians. You don't have to become like them to, to draw them to yourself and to draw them to Christ. Sometimes it's easy to go over the line a little bit, saying, well, I just want to be accepted by these people as well. They're my friends, they're my co-workers and the like. Never step over the line of Christian behavior to non-Christian behavior just because you would like to be more better friends with someone. That's not the way to reach them. You need to live Christ-like in your actions, the fruit of the Spirit, wearing those new set of clothes. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. <clears throat> Paul not only says be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, but he also says in verse 5, make the most of every opportunity. <clears throat> There's another maxim that we, that we often use in our speech, and that would be something like, maybe you can finish this sentence, Opportunity knocks, but, wow, maybe we don't use it so much. Opportunity knocks, but wants. Now, there's another saying that goes on with that a temptation keeps its hand on the doorbell. Opportunity knocks, but wants. Just we're talking about opportunities. Opportunities that come your way and to make good on opportunities, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. I recall when I was a sophomore at Kelvin College, now called Kelvin University, and I was playing, I wanted to play soccer, not, not to study, but that soon got my priorities right, took a little while. But I had the opportunity to go with the Kelvin soccer team to Europe, Paris, uh, Germany, uh, Frankfurt, and just to play like uh, uh, 10, eight to 10 different games on clay courts, if you could believe it. But it was clay courts, but they were beautiful. 
And uh, we had the opportunity to go, but I had to come up with 800 bucks to go. That isn't bad, right, to going for two weeks in Europe. But I was this poor boy. You know, I'm going to school, scraping the money I can to go. And, and what I left at home yet, I didn't bring it to Kelvin. I had, I had a javelin. You know, a javelin is not, not that kind. But it was a car. And it was, it was nice. It was a nice car. Uh, and I was just struggling with, boy, I'd really like to go with, with my team. But I can't afford it. And somebody pulled me aside and said, Jim, you can't afford it. You got to go and sell your javelin. This is my car, man. The girls love this thing. Right? It's my car. Beautiful car. Listen, somebody said, you may never have the opportunity again to go to Europe, which, by the way, I haven't gone back yet. You may never have the opportunity to go to Europe. Here's an opportunity for you to go, and it's only going to cost you $800. You can always buy another car. And if it has to be a javelin, although I, don't, I haven't seen one for ages, you can always buy another car. You may never have the opportunity again to go to Europe. And I thought about that for a few days, and, and I said, you know what? You're right. So I ran home, sold my javelin, which is worth about 1000 bucks. so I even had a little spending money to take with me. And I went on that trip with the soccer team. And you know what? I haven't regretted it to this day. I made good in an opportunity that was given to me. And as I said, I haven't yet had the opportunity to go back. Opportunity knocks but once. Paul says, listen, it's the same way when you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Sometimes on a given day, at a given hour, at a given place, unbeknownst to you, you have an opportunity because of what's happening in this talk you're having with someone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, listen, that opportunity may only come to you once with that person. And you might regret it later if God indeed was responsible to setting up this meeting that you didn't make good on this opportunity, that you missed this opportunity and possibly missed the opportunity of leading someone to Christ. So he says, listen, make the most of every opportunity when you witness. The Greek word was used, uh, I think literally it says something like to redeem the time. Take the moment that you have and make good on it. And it was often used in the business world in the New Testament regarding merchants who would go around similar to like people who would like to do garage sales or the like and go to different garage sales and look for things. It was used as a merchant going from, from a, a garage sale to garage sale and looking for specific items, which some of you do. And when he comes across it, he quickly grabs it, he seizes it, and because it's a great opportunity, just what he was looking for, and he seizes it before anybody else can take it and buy it, and he buys it. Making good on the opportunity, seizing the opportunity. Paul says, listen, make the most of every opportunity when it comes to witnessing. Um, other phrases that we might use in English are something like, when you meet someone, when God, remember he talked about opening doors, opening hearts, God opening both. When God opens a door for you to present the gospel to someone, which you weren't kind of expecting on that given day, usually it's when someone's going through a difficult time. He says, make good on the opportunity. Time is of the essence here. That's what he's saying. You got to seize the opportunity. Time is of the essence. And you got to do that with a sense of urgency. And this is something I think most of us lose over time. 
We just get so busy with our lives and so busy with good things that we often don't busy ourselves with what's most important. An opportunity to share the gospel, uh, to seize an opportunity, to snatch up that person in that moment, in that given moment, you might only have five minutes with that person. And you may never see them again. But the opportunity comes, even during that conversation where somebody says something like, yeah, I'm really struggling with some things right now in my life. Boom. What an opportunity, right? Tell, tell me what you're struggling with. And let me tell you, after you hear them, you've got to be a good listener. Let me tell you what, what I do and where I go and when I'm struggling with things and what I have. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell you who that is and why I go to Jesus with these things. By that time, literally, by that moment, redeem it and use it to bring someone to Christ. Do not miss that opportunity because an opportunity is lost. Then there's a potential of that soul being lost as well. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity when you witness. And then finally, Paul says in verse 6, these words. Let your conversation, okay, now we're leaving the actions. Now let's go back to your speech. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Actions, notice he starts with actions. That, that kind of says more than your words, you remember? But when you do have time to speak, you, you need to think about what you say and how you say it. Because if you speak the wrong way and if you say the wrong things, that person or people that you're speaking with, they may not be receptive to the gospel. Just by the manner in which you're trying to present to them Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. You want those people who are listening to be receptive to the gospel. And do not use words. Just take the opposite of what first Paul says here. Do not use words that are full of ungrace. Do not use words that are seasoned with pepper. How's that? Because that's easy to do. I, I, I still recall, and I don't even know if this church exists anymore, but I, I've mentioned to you before that this Westboro Baptist Church, nothing against the Baptist Church, many great, great, wonderful Christians. But this particular church was known for the rhetoric. And they were known, when, and they were supposedly spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how Jesus is the answer to your life. They would walk around with signs like this. You're going to hell God is your enemy, not blessed, just cursed, God hates you. Now, whoever in the world would want to come to Christ if thinking that's what it was all about? These are words that are not seasoned with grace. These are words that are only seasoned with pepper and not salt. You know, it's very easy for us on a given day, I think, not to go maybe to this extreme. But can you imagine coming up to someone who has something going on in their life and you have an opportunity to bring them comfort and joy and point them to Jesus, but you know they're not a Christian and you go to that neighbor or coworker or a friend or family member and say, well, you know what? You're going to hell anyway. I don't care. You're going to hell. You don't love Jesus. You're going to hell. You might get some attention, but not the kind of attention you want. I think you're closing the door on the opportunity for that person to be receptive to Jesus. 
You come with words of grace. You come with words that are seasoned with salt. I assure you, if that's how you speak with someone, if you keep telling them they're going to hell, you, you dirty, rotten sinner, guess what? They're, they don't have the problem. You do. Rather, Paul says, speak in such a way with words that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. Full of grace. You know, it's, you're able to converse with people with grace if you've really experienced the grace of God in your own life. For grace, if you've been saved, right? Ephesians what? 2 verse... Hey, we'll get that one sooner or later. 2 verse 8, right in there someplace. For grace, if you've been saved... Paul says, with that same grace that you have been given, remember that you were given that grace. You share that grace with others. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I, man, I've broken marriages. I've broken family relationships. I've, I've embezzled money. I've, I've cheated people. I've lied. My life is ruined. Oh, let me tell you about God's grace. Let me, let me just introduce you to what, who Jesus is and how Jesus can take all of your brokenness and turn that into something wonderful for you. But you got need to come to him. Wouldn't, wouldn't that kind of draw your attention a little bit to what God has to say? Jesus is able to make a difference in your life. Words full of grace. God showered his grace to you. He wants us to shower that grace to others. Now understand something as we talk about that. Some people share grace in such a way that they're willing to compromise the truth of the gospel when they're trying to be gracious to someone. You never sacrifice truth and only emphasize grace. You never compromise the gospel. You never water down the gospel. Some people I, I, I talk to will say something like, well, you know, I really don't bring up the sin thing ever because, you know, that's a downer. I just tell them God loves you. You can go to heaven someday. Well, you gotta, eventually you've got to deal with the sin thing. I'm, I'm fallen like you are. And you share your, your commonness. I, I'm, I was fallen as well. I'm a sinner and I've received grace. And that's been offered to you as well. Um, grace and truth. Jesus came, right? John 1 verse 14. Jesus came full of grace and truth. They were twins together. He came with grace with, to people. But he also spoke the truth. He would often say something like, either your sins are forgiven or go and sin no more. Together, showing that kind of grace. And then this, it's almost like an odd statement. It's, and there's a lot of scholars who disagree exactly what's going on here. But he also says, season your words with salt. Season your words with salt. And the majority kind of believe it's saying something like this. When you speak, you need to speak words that would taste good to people. I'm a salt lover. Pay me too much. I'm the kind that if I'm ever at your home or in a restaurant and somebody brings me my food, and what, what do you think I do first? You pick up a salt shaker, right? Because it's got to have more salt. Well, how do you know that without, you just do. I just, uh, salt is that way. It, it tastes good. It, it can make other things taste better. Speak words that taste good. Speak words that have a good flavor. Because if you speak words that have a good flavor, people are going to want to hear them as well. Speak words that are appetizing. I'm just thinking of what things now with salt. Uh, speak words that are engaging. Speak words that are stimulating. Speak words 
that are appealing and inviting. One author talks about them as, as winsome kind of words. Words that are going to draw people to Christ through you because of the way you speak. You begin to understand, well, being seasoned in your words with salt better than pepper, you might be a few days ahead with people. Too much pepper, words that are unkind and ungracious, and only that push people away from Christ are the wrong words to use. Season your words with salt. Such speech will allow people to be more receptive to the gospel. And maybe that means for some of us this morning a little bit of confession. Saying, you know, Lord, maybe I've been going about it all wrong in my life. I keep pushing people away from me where I work or my neighbor away from me or that family member away from me because I keep telling them that they're going to go to hell if you don't love Jesus. Truth. But you put that with grace. And maybe you've got to come at a different angle with a more gracious attitude toward them as you seek to lead them to Jesus Christ and to have them receive Christ. Jesus, of course, was a master of this. His words were gracious. His words were seasoned with salt. Now you might be saying, yeah, well, you know, when I get to Matthew 23, <laughs> he, he didn't have a whole lot of salt for the Pharisees. You want to see Jesus using some pepper words, read Matthew 23. He really got on their case. That was the time and the situation and why he had to point out their hypocrisy. On the whole, you see Jesus coming alongside of people like the woman at the well, like the woman caught in adultery. Did he use pepper words? Or did he come alongside of them and, and, and people were drawn to him because of his grace to them? Other people wanted to stone, condemn. They're going to hell. They don't belong. They're outsiders. Jesus said, no, I've come so that outsiders could become insiders. And maybe part of their problem is some of us have some outsiders. We don't want them to become an insider because we don't dislike them that much. That's not your decision. That's God's decision. Outsiders becoming insiders. Jesus was a master of drawing people to himself, and his words were engaging and stimulating and appealing, and they tasted good. And people, I'm the light of the world. I'm the breath of life. I'm the door. I'm the vine. People say, oh, I want that. Can I have that? I need that. Another master of that was St. Paul. Uh, you you want to see how he, no, he wasn't, Always, well, he had some pretty pointed things to say in some of the Gospels towards some of the churches. But I recall in Acts 17, verses 22 to 31, when he went into one particular city, he says, listen, uh, he could have come in and told me, oh, yeah, I'm going to hell, you people, you know, what you're doing to the Christians and how you're treating them, God doesn't love you, God hates you, God is your enemy. Now, what does he do? He's walking through the city and he says, oh, you know, I've noticed as I've been walking through the city, I see that you are religious in every way. They had like idol after idol after idol after idol after idol. Many gods. Rather than saying, you know, you're going to hell if you keep worshiping these gods, you better come to Christ. No, he says, listen, I see that you're very religious. Point of contact. You think that scared anybody away? There were times people wanted to pick him up and, and right, stone him, stone him. With this and I see that you're religious in many ways. And he said, then I noticed specifically, Acts 17, you have this one statue that says, just in case we missed any of the gods, this unknown God. What does he say then? Who knows? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about this unknown God named Jesus and why you need to come to him and, and all of these other idol gods need to go to the wayside. 
point of contact, coming alongside of people, drawing people in by being very careful with his speech. Words of grace seasoned with salt. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. The challenge this morning is simply this as, as we close up this series. I know that most of us have either a family member, a friend, a neighbor, uh, a spouse. It might be someone tomorrow that God is going to bring into your life, a stranger. I, I've said many times about when, when, I, when, I, when I'm on my own for lunch or here or there with a specific waitress, somehow a conversation can get going. And I recall many times where this person was hurting and you just, yeah, but you know what? I got a meeting. I got a worship team meeting at, 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 at one o'clock and Carl's going to be really ticked off if I don't get there for that. How about, can, can I come back tomorrow? Are you going to be working tomorrow? No. What's most important? Those meetings are important, Carl. But what's important is if when God opens the door and, and he has an opportunity for, for us to share the gospel and that, that he can open that person's heart, you've got to make good on that opportunity. Be wise how you act. Make good on the opportunity and let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. You see, regarding that person that God is bringing to your mind right now, which most of us can bring someone to mind, time is of the essence. And you need to act with a sense of urgency. Because Jesus could come back any day. And maybe someone sitting here this morning or listening online. Where you're that one, you're that person who still is outside of Christ. And I want to encourage you to uh, consider what God has to, to share with you in Jesus Christ. Through a, someone who comes to you and maybe someone has come to you. And, and that door is open but your heart has not yet been opened. And. And maybe just maybe God is drawing you to himself. And he says, yeah, I know you're an outsider. I know your life was a mess. I know you did a lot of bad things in your life. But guess what? That's why you need Jesus. Uh, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is all you need. And you can come to him. And that's the message. This is why community church exists. This is why you, as a Christian, this is your job description. Created first to worship God, foremost. And secondly, to get involved in the mission turning hearts towards Jesus Christ in such a way that their hearts can be opened by God's grace, the one who opens hearts, so they can come to Christ. That's been the theme of Colossians, the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is all you need. And don't let this last sermon in this series be the last time you talk about Colossians. Uh, now you can go back to it time and again when you're, when you're being introduced to people who are outside of Christ. And just walk through it together. And maybe by God's grace and for his glory, one more person will come to saving grace. Let's bow our heads together. <clears throat> Father, in Jesus' name, we praise you. And we thank you for this, this journey that we could take through the book of Colossians. And it's been a journey. For some of us, it was, uh, well, a part of Scripture that wasn't necessarily well known. We thank you for, for the weeks and the months that we could spend uh, walking through this, this so very important part of Scripture together. 
Oh, we thank you for the faith and the love that we learned about that springs up from hope. We thank you for filling us with your knowledge more because of this series and for the fruit that has enabled us to bear things in your name. We praise you that we can be reminded from being rescued from that dominion of darkness, which some may be here this morning or listening, still are bound to. We praise you that the great work of reconciliation of Jesus Christ, that he could mend that broken relationship we've had with you as our Father. We praise you for the mystery of gospel that has been revealed, that salvation now is offered to all nations and all people. The invitation is universal. We praise you that we are rooted and built up in Christ and that we've been made alive in Christ and being reminded that true religion is, is that which is focused on Christ and not on the do's and don'ts of religion. We praise you that we are raised with Christ and that we can set our hearts and minds on things above when we all too often set our hearts and mind on things below. Continue to help us, as we have heard, to put to death these sins of the flesh and to dress up more and more in the new set of clothes that Jesus offers us. And we thank you for challenging us to be more devoted to prayer and, and to see how doors can open and hearts can open because of your grace. And we praise you for challenging us to use the opportunities that come to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ when sometimes we least expect it and we offer ourselves to you to that end. Forgive us, Father, when we've not measured up to any of these things, which we do not often do. But we praise you that you can take still sinful but redeemed people as ourselves to share this gospel and this grace that we have. And thank you for reminding us and that there is one supreme Lord and Savior in the name of Jesus Christ and to affirming to us that Jesus is all we need. Whether it's being lost in sin, whether it's losing a loved one in death as the Goodman family experiences the death of Justin's father, whether it's facing health issues, so many members in our congregation uh, struggling with, with cancer, spouses and family members and friends, those who struggle with other diseases, those filled with anxiety and depression and hopelessness. Remind us and remind them this morning that Jesus is all we need even in those times. To your name be honor and glory, and may your kingdom come that day when there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more tears, but eternal pleasures in heaven forevermore. In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen.